There's a police officer. He was in charge of a tactical unit. They were one evening called to chase a suspect, and they thought that this suspect was on the roof of a particular building. And so the captain got all of his troops together. He said, when we get there, we'll surround the building. He pointed to one of the officers, and he said, I want you to shine a light on the roof, and, but wait on my signal. And so they went out, and... They had radio contact with all the officers and they waited till everyone was in place around the building. And then he looked at the officer and said, okay, throw a light on the roof. Promptly, the officer took his flashlight and slung it up to the roof. You know, he really wasn't in the light, was he? I mean, he, he messed up. He didn't get what the officer, the captain, was telling him to do. You might say he was in the dark. A lot of times when people don't know what's going on, when they don't understand things, we say they're in the dark. They, they don't see the light. We use that phrase all the time. More and more in our culture, there are people in this world that don't see the light. And I'm talking about the true light, the light of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the light of the Lord. In fact, we find in our culture today, it's becoming more and more immoral. That's happened throughout history. People drift away from God more and more. And we, we are getting more and more, I'm going to use this term, evil in the way we live in our culture. This is signified by a group of ladies that were out to lunch one day. Uh, one of the ladies asked, these 12 married women were all sitting around the table. One of the ladies asked the women, said, how many of you have been faithful to your husbands? One woman of the twelve raised her hand. That night, one of the other ladies that didn't raise her hand was home. She told her husband what had happened. She said, I didn't raise my hand. The husband, she said, but I have been faithful. The husband said, why didn't you raise your hand? She said, I was embarrassed because no, only one other lady raised her hand. We live in a culture where sometimes it's even embarrassing to let other people know that you have lived a moral life, that you have not strayed from your husband. And increasingly, it is not in fashion, it is not cool to try to live a moral, godly life. Somebody might say, you know, evil is just growing all around us. And people might ask the question, which I'm going to raise today, why doesn't God do something about the evil in the world? Have you ever thought that before? Why doesn't God do something about all this evil in the world? Well, he has. He did. And that brings us to the Christmas story. The reality is Christmas is all about God doing something about evil. It's the start of what God wanted to do. Christmas is not just about a heartwarming story of a poor family that had to travel to Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn. They had to birth their baby in a stable, laid him in a manger. Shepherds and angels and wise men come and see him. That's all part of the story, but that's not the focus of the story. It's so much more. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that an angel came and spoke to Joseph. Even though he knew Mary wasn't carrying his own baby, 
The angel said, take Mary as your wife and raise this son. And then the angel said to Joseph, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will be the savior of the people. The name Jesus means God saves, the Lord saves. And he said he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Joseph did as he was told. But I want you to think today about this Jesus because he came into this dark, evil world to bring a light, a light that shines. If you have your Bible, let's go to John chapter 1 today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a pew Bible, page 860, or maybe you got it on your cell phone. Of course, the Apostle John wrote uh, the book of John. He was one of Jesus' closest companions. Uh, he's the last of the four gospel writers to write his book. It's written in a different style. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just sort of tell one story after the other about Jesus and how he taught and, and some of the things that he did while he was here. They record many of the miracles. But John writes a little different. John has these themes throughout his writing. And John is trying to do way much more than just teach us about the life of Jesus. He's trying to show us something. He's trying to shed a deeper light on the life of Jesus and who he was. And one of the themes that comes out of the book of John is this idea of Jesus being the light. So look with me now in John chapter 1. We'll begin at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you went to verse 14, you would see that the Word became flesh. It's talking about Jesus. He is that Word. Verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now let's stop right there for a minute, and let's think about what John is leading us into. First thing I want you to think about is that dark and light in the Bible usually stand for evil and godliness. Now, it's not always the case, but most of the time, when it uses light and dark, that's what it's talking about. We sometimes think of light and dark when we think of night and day. Literally, they are dark and light. But the thing that some people think is that light and darkness are opposites. But they're not. Darkness is actually the absence of light. And so that's why the metaphor here is fitting for evil and godliness. Because evil is actually the absence of godliness. And so when it comes to John talking about Jesus being a light, this is way much more than Jesus just coming to brighten things up a little bit. He's coming to teach us something, to illuminate for us the godliness, the holiness that God wants us to have in our lives. To do that, you've got to understand evil. Now, a lot of times when we think of evil, we think of, well, it's those really bad people that do these great, big, bad, ugly things. You know, kind of stuff that gets your name in a paper. That's what evil is. But evil is so much more than that. In fact, evil is anything that's outside the will of God. 
So if you tell a little white lie to God, that's evil. If you steal a penny, that's evil. If you cheat on a test, that's evil. If you break a law, that's evil. That takes you outside the will of God. And God wants us to live a holy life. He wants us to strive to do what's right in any and all situations. And Jesus came to help us differentiate, to shine a light in the midst of evil, to show us godliness. Now look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So, this John is not John the Apostle. This is talking about John the Baptist. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that when the Messiah came, which Jesus was that Messiah, that Elijah would come back to life and would uh, announce the coming of the Messiah. In Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus said John the Baptist was the Elijah that was to announce the coming of the Messiah. So John testifies, he is a witness, that Jesus is this Messiah that came to bring the light to mankind as to what God wanted from them. So Jesus came as a light to reveal true godliness to the world. Now you've got to remember that Jesus was born into a Jewish family. And Jesus came into that Jewish culture. And to the Jews, godliness or holiness was about keeping a list of rules. You know, that list of Ten Commandments and then some other scriptures that are based on. That sort of the Jews... They came up with this list of rules based on those commandments that helped them know how to live their life. In fact, they had 613 laws or rules in their Torah that they went by. This was a commentary on the first five books of the Bible where the law is given. And they said, you know, if you keep these 613 rules, you're holy. You're what God wants you to be. And the Pharisees came along, and they were this elite religious group and they self-proclaimed that they were the supreme examples of what it meant to be holy. And they sort of looked down and judged everybody else based on their behavior. Now, one thing about them, they would not even associate with people of the darkness, the unholy people of the world. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. Contrast that with Jesus. Jesus came down to the world to reach the dark people. He came into the world to go to where the ungodliness was, the holiness of God come down to go into the ungodly people to show them the light, to show them what holiness looks like. That's almost upside down. The holy going to the unholy. But that's what Jesus came to be. You see, the Pharisees made it all about their personal appearances about keeping this list of rules. Look at how holy I am. And many of those rules were rules they had made up to show that they were accepted by God, they thought. That they were holy. Jesus sort of rebuked them, especially on one occasion, 
Mark chapter 7, they tried to rebuke Jesus' disciples. For some reason, Jesus' disciples were eating and they did not wash their hands before they ate. Now this was a big one of those 613 rules. You have to ceremonially wash your hands before you eat. And so the Pharisees were careful to keep this. And there was some kind of ceremony they went through, washing their hands to show everybody how holy I am before I eat. And they rebuked Jesus' disciples. And Jesus then steps up and rebukes them. And he talks about what Isaiah said. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, Jesus said. And then he goes into this teaching. And he said, you know what? You guys have let go of the commands of God to keep your own rules, to make yourself look holy. And he brings up this idea that they had in one of their rules was the idea of Corbin. Now, Corbin said something like this. If you were, uh, had maybe a piece of land and you weren't using that land and you wanted to give it to the temple to be used, but you could keep it until you died and then it would go to the temple. If you wanted to use it during the time for your own purposes, you could, but you couldn't let anybody else use it or you couldn't sell it and, and give the proceeds to somebody. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know, some of you have kept the rule of Corban because you've dedicated a piece of land that you let your own mother and father starve to death because you won't sell that piece of land and give the money to them. And so you violate the law that said honor your father and mother to keep this law that you made up that's not even in the Bible. Jesus said your hearts are far from God. You're more worried about keeping your own rules than you are about following the heart of the law. In the Sermon on the Mount, he, he hit them on other places. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, in that sermon, Jesus says, Now, I've not come to abolish the law, he says, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you how you really should interpret it. And he talks in there about several things. He starts out with murder, and he says, you know, you guys have, have read in the law, do not murder, and you probably keep that law. But I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother. He takes it to a whole new level. He talks about adultery, and he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, whoever even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. He goes on to talk about other things. One of the things that he raises to a new height is this idea of love. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I say, love your enemies. Takes it to a whole new level. He gets on to them about their giving. They would give to the needy, and they would, they would sometimes, when they would go to put their offering in, they would make a public spectacle out of it and blow trumpets. Look at me. Look how great I am giving all this money to help the poor people. And Jesus says, no, don't even let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Just give the money. Don't worry about the recognition. And when they would pray, the Pharisees would go sometimes and stand on the street corners for hours in this special garb that they wore and pray out loud because they wanted everybody to see how holy they were. And Jesus says, no, you just, just go pray in private. Why do you, 
Why do you make a public spectacle out of it? Same thing when they fasted, and they Pharisees fasted two days a week. I find it hard to fast once a year, but they would do it two days a week. And they would put on sackcloth and put black soot on their face and go through town looking all drub, you know, drib and everything because they wanted everybody to see, oh, he's fasting, he's a Pharisee. Look at how holy he is. Jesus wasn't getting on to them for the things they'd done. He was just getting on to them because they wanted people to see them and their holiness. And Jesus is telling them, you guys miss the point. You're not living for God. You're living for yourself. There's one occasion in Luke chapter 10 where one of their good teachers of the law comes and it says to test Jesus. See, they were trying to always trap Jesus and get him to say something that wasn't correct. So this, this uh, teacher comes and says, Tell me, good teacher, speaking to Jesus, Tell me what I have to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you're a great teacher. You tell me, what does the Bible say? And he says, well, it says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus says, you don't need my help. You got it right. But then that teacher says to Jesus, he says, well, tell me one more thing. Who is my neighbor? See, he's wanting him to set some limits. You know, as people that you know that live in the community, or is it my, the person that just lives next door to me? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this famous parable of the Good Samaritan, where he goes on and says, you know, this guy got beaten up and thrown in a ditch and left down in the ditch, and a priest comes by, and he sees the guy and doesn't want anything to do with him, so he crosses the other side of the road, goes on by. A Levite, who was supposed to be holy, he was one of the workers at the temple. He comes by, sees the man, goes to the other side of the road, passes by. But then a Samaritan come along, Jesus said. Now, Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They lived to the north of Judea, and, and they just hated these people. And Jesus said, well, this Samaritan saw the guy in the ditch, and he helped him up, and he got him on a donkey, and he took him to an inn and paid money for him to stay at the inn, gave the innkeeper some money so he could help the guy get well. And he said, look, I'll come back, and if it takes longer than what I've paid for, I'll pay you some more, and we're going we're gonna to get this guy well. And Jesus asked the teacher, he said, who was the neighbor to the guy? And I'm sure that that teacher kind of scratched his head and he didn't want to answer, but he said, it was a Samaritan. He's the one that did the neighborly thing. And what Jesus was trying to say is your neighbor is anybody you come in contact with that needs your help and you're able to provide for them. You see, what Jesus was saying is that love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself thing in fact, he even told us on one occasion, that's what the whole law is based on. That's the point. That's the light that Jesus came into this world to shine, that we would know that this love thing, God takes it seriously. And this love that we're talking about, it's not, it's not just a feeling that you get. You know, we usually think, well, I would love the person, but I just don't have the feeling of love. It's not a feeling. 
It's a decision you make that I'm going to have concern for these other people, that I'm going to to care for these other people. I'm going to do whatever I can do to help that person who is in need. You see, Jesus came down in a human form to help us come and bring light to this law to help us see what it really means. In James chapter 2, verse 8, it says, If you really keep the royal law, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're doing right. They call it the royal law that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I heard about a church that was having a Christmas party one night. They were all in the fellowship hall. It was getting ready to start. And there were, you know, all kinds of people around. And this guy from the community, everybody knew him. He was a poor guy. And, you know, he drank a little too much sometimes. And he shows up at the door just I just need a little help this Christmas. I just need a little fellowship, you know, maybe something to eat, whatever. And this one lady in the church, she just goes over and she dresses him down and sends him on his way. You got no place being at this party. They're little kids here. Well, the party got ready to start and they had chosen one of their 10-year-old star little children's students to say the prayer. She gets up before the group and says an eloquent prayer. And in part of her prayer, she says, And Lord, please make the bad people good and make the good people nice. It goes right to your heart, doesn't it? Because that's what Jesus is saying we ought to do. We need to be nice to people. We need to love people. He came to shine the light to show us. It's not, life is not about us. It's about loving God and loving other people. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor born of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Children born of God. I guess we've all heard the term born-again Christian, right? Well, you see, here's the deal. All who recognize who Jesus is and believe in Him will find the light, and that light will lead you to be born again. You know, belief in Jesus is the real key. John describes it here as receiving Him. The opposite would be to reject Him. And many of the Jewish people, which is called here His own, He came to that which was His own. His own people rejected Him. Even though He had fulfilled so many scriptures that were written that pointed to who He was, they rejected Him because He didn't fit the mold of what they thought he should be. And there he was right before them, and they missed it. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, You study the Scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. They missed it when he was right there before them. 
You know, the scriptures were the foundation of that, of that Jewish life. They, they, the Old Testament led them into the kind of life that they were going to have. That's where they got. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But they tried every way they could to get around really doing that to make up all these rules instead that they felt they could keep and would make them look holy. You add the New Testament in and it tells us that this, this life that we live is based on believing in Jesus. And it's not until we recognize who Jesus is that we really come to get that light. And all those scriptures point to Jesus. In John chapter 3, one of the famous Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, comes to Jesus late at night one night, and he's wanting to know if Jesus really is who he says he is, Son of God, Messiah. And so he comes to talk to Jesus, and Jesus tells him, says, Look, Nicodemus, you're one of Israel's best teachers. You should know this stuff. You should know who I am. But he says, I'm telling you, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how, how can that happen? How can I enter my mama's womb again? And Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. And you know it's not. You have to have a spiritual awakening. You have to be born of water and born of the Spirit. And I think Jesus is talking about you've got to be baptized into Jesus. And then you receive the Holy Spirit, which begins to work and enable you to live out the light that he's taught. Nicodemus never did get it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Michael Plant was a professional sailboat driver, whatever you call him, sailor. And so he's... I just made that up right here on the spot. <laughs> anyway, he's, uh, he's entered this race. He's got this new sailboat, $650,000 sailboat, racing sailboat. And he's going to win this race. You know, it's 24,000 miles around the world. He's going. And he gets on his sailboat, and he takes off, and, you know, he's all by himself. And, and uh some point into the race, they lose radio contact with him and nobody can find him. And there's one point where he does contact a, a ship that's close by and he says, I've lost power, but everything's going to be all right. Tell my fiance that uh, I'm, I'm going to be all right. Well, they didn't hear any more from him for 32 days. And finally, another ship out on the ocean spots this sailboat, the mast was still up, the sail was still intact, but it was upside down. The mast and the sail were in the water. And when they came to rescue, they noticed something about the sailboat. We have a picture here. The keel is right here, and then they have a ballast on the bottom, and that's a big weight that weighs that sailboat down, so when the wind blows the sail, it won't tip the sailboat over. This ballast was gone. This expensive sailboat, they're they don't know what happened. A whale knocked it off or it ran into some rocks out in the ocean or a reef or it was just a faulty design and it fell off. But the sailboat tipped over and there was no sign of the guy. You see, the ballast is what keeps the balance. 
It's what holds the thing in the water so that the wind can hit the sails. And listen, Jesus came to be our ballast. He came to be the thing that weights us down so we don't tip over. But we got to follow him. We got to see the light and follow his ways. And here's our connection. The story of Christmas is that God sent Jesus into this dark world to light the way for all people to overcome the evil world. You know, last week we talked about God becoming human first in the form of this little baby. He gave up the glories of heaven to come down and step into this evil world and grow up to be a light. This, this, this holy light stepped into the darkness to show us the way. That's upside down. But he came for all those. For those women that would not raise their hand because it's not fashionable to be moral. For the people who do the big, bad, ugly things. He came. He came to save them. For the, those that want to do wrong and want to force their ways on the rest of us. For those who don't have anything to anchor them, no, no ballast to weigh them and keep them upright. He came for them. He came for all of us to be a light, to show us the way. He came to right the ship for anybody who would call him Lord and Savior. It's light in the darkness. And he invites all who will to receive him. If you have not done it, do it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much in the midst of all the darkness that's around us, all the immorality that's going on. Father, you jumped right in, came right into the darkness to show us the light, to show us the way to go. While many religious men of the past wouldn't have anything to do with the darkness, you stepped into the darkness to be light and to show us the real way, the way of Jesus, the way of love. And Lord, I just pray today that you help us to be people that would receive that. First, we receive that love, and then we would be ones that would want to carry that out into the darkness to the rest of the world. Jesus came, this little baby who grew up to be a great teacher and preacher and healer. He came into the darkness to bring that light. Now help us to receive it and to follow him. In his strong name we pray and praise today. Amen.